Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, wine friends, and welcome back to part two with Helena Nicklin. Now, if you've missed last week, do go back. We're talking about Helena's TV series, The Three Drinkers, which is on Amazon Prime, and all about cognac. But today's episode, we are talking about her very own whiskey matured in Bordeaux cask barrels. You're going to get some personal wine recommendations. Then we're discussing Riesling and its sweetness levels. Then we're flying ourselves over to Chianti. Both of us actually visited last year. And so we're going to give you a few ideas to perhaps create an itinerary. And of course, there'll be some wine recommendations from Chianti Classico itself. You will then be introduced to Chianti Classico's new UGA classifications, which stands for Additional Geographical Units. So this was new for me too. We'll be talking about women making an impact in the wine world and even a winery on the Isle of Wight. So there's loads packed into this one. So sit back and relax. Well, unless you are driving, of course, and enjoy. Now, I want to take us over to you making your own whiskey. So again, just like I said in the last episode, you never stop. You're always doing a million projects. How did it come about that you and AD, right, together, the two of you created your own whiskey? Right. Well, thank you for asking. We we were filming The Three Drinkers in Ireland and Mm. we always had the idea that for every series we make because obviously we're going to make hundreds I don't know Um, (laughs) I hope so but wouldn't it be nice to have a product that goes with it so you can drink it while you're watching um so that that was the idea so we had always had that in mind we launched a scotch whiskey for the scotch show we just did Mm -hmm. a limited edition of 300 bottles for that and then we were filming in Ireland and we we got really friendly with some fantastic people in County Donegal while I was abseiling down cliffs. <laughs> Love it. Um, and yes, they, they've got a distillery called Schlieve League where they make a more historic style of of Irish whiskey. Now, you, you, you might okay. not know, but I guess Irish whiskey is famous for being like particularly smooth and velvety, um, like more so than scotch. Okay. Uh, and yeah. so we, I mean, we love that, but there is a, there's a slight peatiness to a lot of what Schlieve League do, like really, really slight. And that's more the historic style. And we really liked that. We wanted to get back to that. But because they said, they showed us a whiskey that was aged in a, in a Spanish wine cask. And we just loved it because it was bringing together the world of wine and whiskey. And we said, could mm. you do that for us? And they were like, yeah. Um, <laughs> but obviously it takes a while to finish a whiskey in a wine cask. So to finish, what that means is you know, once it's matured and like become whiskey, you put it in a different barrel to impart different flavours that has held mm-hmm. something else before. So we said, brilliant, okay. And we worked with the distillery to find out wh- which casks we could potentially use. And they've got brilliant relationships with many wine producers around Europe. And we thought Bordeaux because quite frankly, we were thinking that's my, where we might be going next and it might be quite a good link. Yeah, okay. Um, and also, you know, we're really familiar with it. And they had Clos They had the option of getting some from Clos And now that's special. It really is. 
and it was one of the very first Bordeaux I ever tried when I was right at the beginning of my journey. Oh, wow. So this is a special winery for you in general? Yes, yeah, it, it really is. And I met Helen Garcin at my first wine job years ago. And I just, it's where I fell in love with Merlot, really. Mm-hmm. Like proper, proper Merlot. And I can still taste that wine as I taste, like in my, in my memory, as I taste mm. it back, like nearly 20 years ago now. Oh my goodness. And I just thought that is going to be stunning with this whiskey. And actually, sorry, everybody, we, you know, Helen has mentioned Merlot. This is Pomerol. So Fogley is in Pomerol. So on the right bank, just for anyone who wants to maybe investigate this very, very (laughs) beautiful winery. Clos l'église, which means sort of the little area of the church. Clos, well, walled vineyard. (laughs) Doesn't (laughs) sound as good in English, does it? No. Um, No, so it's a stunning, very, very like high-end winery, but it's not up its own bottom. Anyway, the style... (laughs) The style of Merlot from there is really fleshy and cedary and a little bit of tobacco. Even when it's young, it's it's quite mm. full-bodied. It's not too tannic and it's just, it's it's elegant, but it's full with it at the same time. Mm. And right. it just, and I think that with the, the red silky style, or, or just the silky style of whiskey that um, Schlieve League made with that tiny, tiny bit of peat, because it's quite rich and, and we thought it would work really well. James Doherty, who helped us with it, thought it would too. And yeah, he says, I can't, I'm allowed to quote him on this, but he says it's the most successful wine finished whiskey that they've done. And oh, I love it. Yeah. And we're so happy with it. It's it's quite different. And again, we're donating a pound from every bottle to a mental health charity that we all, we both feel very strongly about. Yeah. And tell me about that, because I'd never heard of This was called The Black the black my dog. black dog my black yes. dog yes yeah it's not as big as it should be but it's it's growing growing very very quickly yeah and it's all about mental health and there's there's a it feels like it's got a focus on men which is brilliant it's mm. for everyone but it's it's very male friendly um and it's got some incredible ambassadors. So Eddie Temple Morris, who's a Virgin Radio DJ, who's actually our third drinker in this cognac series. Ah. You know, he's he's taught us a lot about it. We've auctioned ourselves as the three drinkers for a recent auction <laughs> that, that, that my black dog had at a big dinner. Yeah, so it, it means a lot to us because both Eddie and I have struggled over the last few years with mental health issues, as I'm sure everyone mm. has, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really nice to actually be in a position to give something back even if it's not massive, it's something, it's we're doing something that we can, you know? No, absolutely. And I, I had a little look on this website and basically there's a, effectively, it's like the, the chat bots, but there's actually a person behind it and you can start, and this is completely free and you can start talking to them and they're going to come back to you and chat further, I guess, and hopefully give you some support and advice. Yeah. And it's just there, like just literally go to this website. And because of course, I think we should all, everybody, regardless of how fantastic you feel, I think everyone should go to therapy because we all have something to talk about, but it's when it costs money that the majority of us do not yeah. go because we can't afford it. So it's amazing that there's this option where people can just maybe mm. share their feelings and, and have some support through that website. I think that's beautiful. Um, so if people like that, they can mm. go to My Black Dog. They can obviously mm-hmm. purchase your whiskey, which is also going to help <laughs> that. And where can they get the whiskey from? Well, I mean, it's Schlieve League is quite difficult to remember, but if you go to the Three Drinkers website, yeah, it's quite easy to find from there. And you can buy it in euros or in pounds. Can you get it in Amazon? <laughs> make it easy. 
yes you well you actually i haven't seen if it's out yet but yes it's coming in to theory Amazon. in theory it's in coming. theory yes oh my gosh i need to check that do you know the price yes it i mean it's not the cheapest because it's it's cost it's strength a premium and product you and limited yeah, edition it's yeah it's 49.95 so it's yeah it's in keeping it's, it's in keeping And you say in cast strength, I just want to ask about, we've talked about impacting flavors from the barrel. That's the whole point, taking some of this Bordeaux fruitiness and and spices and and obviously the oak. But how long did it, how old was the oak? Was it like a fifth use barrel? Is it just a really old barrel that just had wine in for many, many years? Not not many years. It was relatively recently filled as far as I'm Mm. aware, because Mm. you still, you still want to, you want it to have some impact. Had it been too old, then it wouldn't have done very much. Yeah. So yeah, within the last couple of years, the the, the barrel was, but it had to stay in that barrel for about at least six months. Okay. To, to impart those flavors. And it's still a very young whiskey, um, but it's showing really beautifully now. Cast strength means that we haven't we haven't diluted it in the bottle, which is another you know that cast strength whiskey tends to be more expensive. Of, quite often when you when you buy spirits they are all diluted to a uniform level of maybe around 40 percent depending yeah. on what the spirit is so yeah this is 46 so it's quite punchy i drink it <laughs> well with a, like a little drop of water just to it changes the structure a bit and just opens up the nose and stops the nose burn okay interesting yeah. <laughs> now, when you picked when you picked the barrel was it more about the contacts that they had and obviously your relationship or in your mind of clodigli or did you have you been to that winery have you been to pomerol i have been to pomerol i haven't been to clodigli's actually um for mm-hmm. me we, we we could have gone longer dock we could have done a few there were there were lots of producers that i knew who they were but I think having Bordeaux and Pomerol felt like a bit of a step up. And given yes. that I, I know the wine very well as well, I kind of knew more what I was getting there. Yeah. And yeah, and for me personally, the history with it, I just I just jumped at it and sort of begged Daddy to to agree with me. But very happily, he did. Oh, he's a big fan too. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, and also, I want to ask as well: Did you learn anything at all from working with barrels? I've never been to a cooperage ever. Oh. I want to see. I want to see the fire. I want to see oh. them burning the wood. And I've never done that. I just wonder. You know, you must have gone to one. Yes, we went in Cognac and we went in Scotland. Did we go in Ireland? Maybe we didn't go in Ireland because we'd just done it in Scotland. Oh, it's great. It's so visceral. Yes, mm. we, we we helped with the fire machine by pressing buttons. And, <laughs> but it smells amazing when you see all the different, how barrels are put together. It's, it's yes. properly an art. Yes. It's incredible seeing that these people are trained for ages. And yeah, the different toasting levels. Yeah, the smells, that lovely vanillin and the toastiness and the fire and oh yes it's very yeah you've got you've got you've got to watch your step because it's very physical you know there's a lot of <laughs> lot of fire lots of hammering going on very loud but yeah, i can imagine well yeah because of course they're bending the wood they've they, they're sticking it in with this like the metal ring aren't they and then when it's yeah. half open then they put it over the fire and then depending on how long it's in the fire, I guess that's when you're going to consider it light toasted, medium. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I just. Exactly. And each producer has their own preferred cooperage as well. Mm -hmm. So yes. Well, yes, of course. And, and we're not just talking about the cooperage and you want to work with somebody that is reputable, but then what forest are you using? And I mean, we, we did mention in the, the, 
podcast before with the cognac podcast that many producers it depends on what grain they're using but what barrel they're mm. using and obviously there's the traditional they like tronso and limousin i think but you know again it depends on what they want to use and it's going to give a different flavor to the product you're making so it's fascinating wine cognac the it, whole it thing. is because that was something i was i was absolutely less aware of actually until we went to cognac but um Thankfully, we had um, Tangi from um, Dongi, sorry, from uh, Courvoisier. Yeah, he explained that beautifully because we went to see, we went to the wood before it was even put into, yeah, before we went to the cooperage, basically. Mm-hmm, so we, mm-hmm. we could see the difference between the fine grains and the wider grains. Um, we, we it's like you could physically see this. We saw the whole process from start to finish, basically, from tr- whole trees being brought in sustainably, by the way. Yes. I have found out, I found out from my winemaker that actually, the so when we talk about French oak compared to, say, American oak, and mm. French oak tends to have finer grains, um, mm. but actually the finest of grains will be in the north of France, com- just again, a bit like with grapes, because it's cooler climate. Yes, the trees that's right. grow in that, I find I find that fascinating. So as an example, if you go with a, if you choose a forest in the southern part of France, it actually can be a little bit more similar to American oak because the grains will be thicker. So it's just so fascinating how the trees can Mm. be so completely different and will impart different flavours. But it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If it's cooler, they don't. Yeah, like Mm. a cool climate wine versus a warm climate wine. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Fascinating. Anyway, everybody, let me know if this is interesting. I think I'm going to have to do um, a wood, a forest and a <laughs> cooperage episode because I, I think actually it's we could geek out on that, can't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now, really important question. Helena, if you had to choose wine or whiskey, you can only choose one. Oh, well, I've, I've, uh, it's no question, I'm afraid. Sorry, whiskey, I do love you, but wine. <laughs> wine is my superpower. <laughs> Isn't it just, oh. So talking, then we say about wine. You have, I'm glad you said that. Thank you. (laughs) You have a weekly guest live on Talk TV. So people you may have seen, Helena there, and you're regularly tasting and you're talking about new wines. So has there been any, I don't know, standout wines for you lately that you want, that you you need to recommend that your body is screaming to release and tell people about? Yeah, they have. I mean, gosh, it all fades into one, really, because it's every week is like, oh, my gosh, it's Thursday again. What am I going to show? What am I going to show? Oh, God, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there have been quite a lot of spirits recently as well. Mm-hmm. I even made him a Parmesan espresso martini last That's week. That's the one. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not that. Shall we say not that? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What's gone down really well wine-wise? Oh, I really enjoyed doing Welsh recently. Oh, um, Welsh wine. Mm-hmm. Welsh wine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Gwinder. Uh, vineyard that was that was that was really delicious actually uh, we did um a six nations where i got we got some uruguayan tanat and albarino and oh, it was, i yeah. love uruguay wine and, and yes. obviously i feel like i'm cheating on my lovely chileans because if anyone who knows me knows i have a special affiliation with chilean <laughs> wine but uruguay it's like it's that beautiful balance between european style and then south american style it has some elegance it's got structure but it's still got fruit and they're all like it typically in uruguay they're much more smaller wineries all kind of mm. typically family run and uh, you've got some absolutely brilliant producers in Uruguay. I'm a massive fan. 
There, yes, so so am I. That's very, very nicely put. And try giving that to someone in a blind tasting and see if they can guess where it's from as well. It's really fun. If, you, if you're a geek like we are. And, and Tanit as well from Uruguay. It still it has all this robustness and intensity, but there's something that they've managed to find a way to soften the tannins and it's very juicy. There's a beautiful, beautiful winery called um, Vigna Progresso. I don't know it's, them actually. I know, yeah, I only know a few. It's the Pisano family. So I've always oh. loved their wines. The Pisano family and then one of the family members the uh, son oh I hate her I could I always get it wrong anyway has started his own winery Vigna Progresso I'll need to look those up actually yes they are brilliant I've always liked Booza they've got some brilliant wines and um oh well I tell you what I started my Uruguayan journey with Garzon oh yes of course mm-hmm. I think everyone has it, yes it, it's almost the rule they're the gate they're the gatekeeper to Uruguayan they, they wine. Mm-hmm. but it's great I think what they've what they've done is they've really opened the door to wine from Uruguay in fact I think the, the best wine on my local pub's wine list was a Garzon Uruguay there was a bit of Merlot in it but it was mostly Tanat and it was amazing. Tanat from Uruguay is to Madaran what Malbec in Argentina is to yes. Cahor. Yeah, precisely. And it's so funny, isn't it? Because actually I've just released an episode on the southwest of France and we're talking about Malbec or Cot, you know, in Cahors and, and Tanit in Madaran and saying, you know, these are more rustic and they're earthier and they can come out, they're, they're leaner and potentially spicier and then you go to the Malbec in Argentina or the Tanner in Uruguay and there's a roundness and a slightly more lusciousness the tannins are more mouth coating and softer it's just very very interesting Mm, yeah lusciousness that luscious Mm. that's a great description Mm. yeah Mm. South America is doing some really interesting things with the European grapes you know (laughs) beating them at their own game (laughs) yeah kind of unfortunately I mean well I say that I love and the pricing is always typically is better than what you're going to get in Europe. That's not obviously, you can't say that 100%, but um, if in doubt. No, of course not. Um, But what it does, it starts people off Mm -hmm. trying things like Tanat Mm -hmm. and Malbec, and then they will come back to their home regions and really appreciate them a little bit more, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so everyone, you've got to go Wales. So that's really (laughs) random. Love that. And actually, (laughs) I I like Anchor Hill. I think they've got some really cool ones. And they're more like, they're quite... Yes, I showed one from Anchor Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We had a a Pinot, a Pinot, Pinot Noir, sparkling traditional method. It was what? Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so everyone that uh, Welsh wine accounts for about one uh, percent of all the production <laughs> of the UK, but there is some. There is wine there. Um, then you've got Uruguay. Anywhere else? Any other specific wine that was just beautiful this this week or last week? Well, we did Rieslings. Yeah, Riesling rocks. Riesling rocks. Yeah, Riesling does rock. Yeah, it <laughs> does. But like a little tasting tour. I, I love taking people through like maybe a Mosul from Germany and a, then an Alsatian and then like an Eden Valley mm. Australian version that's like a so searing lime. Well, so yeah, that is something I would say when somebody's like, I don't want to try Riesling because it's sweet. And I'm like, no, they're actually the majority is not sweet. That's not the mm. case. If in doubt, something like Eden Valley or even... Even Clare Valley, I mean, they're pretty much all hmm. dry, right? Unless it would actually say sweet on the bottle, some producer wants to try something. That's a really easy place to go where you know you're going to get a dry wine. Bone dry. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Wow. Do you have any other advice on somebody who's scared of Riesling? Because we want them into the Riesling camp. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think I think Alsace. They're pretty dry. Yeah. Alsace is always they, good. They're dry, but they're full bodied, aren't they? They're, they're a bit mm-hmm. more fruity rather than sweet, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. is... 
I just every time I have one from Alsace, I'm like, why am I not drinking this every day? <laughs> um, yeah, I think people are scared by the like the flute shaped bottles as well, which is a real because there, there still is a hang up about mm. that being like a cheap wine that is badly made. Uh, and it, and is sweet, but maybe with a new generation of wine drinkers, that will be less so. We've yeah. just got to keep pegging away at that message, really, haven't we? I think precisely. And I mean, obviously, Germany is going to be the most confusing place in terms of sweetness. I mean, my mm. advice has always been, if you look at the back of the bottle and the alcohol is is pretty low, if you're going to get a seven percent riesling, it's going to have mm. a, quite a bit of sweetness. If you can find a riesling, of course, there's always exceptions to every rule. But if you're going to find a riesling that's eleven point five or even 12%, you're probably likely that that wine is dry or just off dry. So that I think is typically a good way to go. That's very good advice. Yeah, that yeah. is because even if you learn that trucken means dry, actually a lot of the time they're definitely off dry. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's so unhelpful. Oh, yeah. To be honest, I did a podcast with Forge Sellers who make insane Rieslings in the mm. Finger Lakes and he got onto a whole conversation with me because he's like, we do bone dry Rieslings and he's like, apparently everyone in the Finger Lakes is like, oh, it's dry and it's like but it's still got like six seven eight nine ten grams and he's like this is not dry and there's a whole thing that's um so yes <laughs> oh the wonderful world of wine but the, the, <laughs> the people are going around saying but it appears to be dry because the acidity is so high so perception's yeah. not and of course he's like look it's either dry or it's not dry sort of thing but that was quite interesting so he said quite a few nice it's a few interesting things to me when we weren't recording <laughs> I am, i'm you know i'm so best i'm so glad i'm not in charge of marketing riesling because oh my god it's because yeah i mean it depends who's asking the question right mm -hmm. like, yes there's a lot of sugar in there but it's balanced by this so yeah oh my god yeah but anyway don't be scared of riesling even with sugar i mean literally some sweetness is going to go so well with spices it's so good with asian food like and also just drinking it by itself with a bit of sugar in there yes, mm. I know. yeah yeah and it's it's not like it's sugar added no oh, sorry residual sugar people hear, sorry. Yes. when people hear no 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 it's just when some people hear the word here's there's sugar in wine who's putting sugar in wine and i know you can blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah we won't go into those details but yes but it's such a good it tempers spice so well, doesn't it? A yes. bit of sweetness. It does. Uh, yeah. Embrace the mm. Riesling. Embrace the residual embrace sugar. <laughs> yes. So I asked you, I said to you, tell me one of the special regions you've visited recently and what did you choose? Oh, Chianti Classic. I'm so glad you said that because I visited them last year as well and it is actually mm. one of my favourite regions. So why? Mm. Why? I mean, it's like obvious. <laughs> I mean, I get it could it could be obvious, but okay, I well, it changed changed my mind. I thought I knew Chianti. Okay, basically, I thought I knew Chianti, and I really didn't. Okay, uh, Sangiovese is one of my favourite grapes. You know, I got I got engaged in in Montalcino. Did you? Um, oh. You know, I've named my children after Italian wines. I you know, I'm a big fan of Tuscan reds, especially. Love it especially with Sangiovese, but there, it's, there, I mean, and I know that they have a lot of the rules have changed recently. So we now have UGAs. They've been mapped that the, the region of Chianti Classico has been mapped with these very specific UGAs by this 
genius man. UGA? <laughs> what does UGA stand for? It's the Italian version of additional geographical units. Very sexy. Mm, mm-hmm. But it's it's like an appellation, yes. really, isn't it? Like mm-hmm. a, a wine producing area. Mm-hmm. It's what they've done is they've mapped the Chianti Classico area by terroir and location. Yes. Well, location is part of terroir mm-hmm. because of the subtle differences that the elevation there and the soil bring to the wines there and there, and there's a there's a much stronger focus now than there ever was on like all the sub regions of Chianti Classico and you know what I hadn't really appreciated is that Chianti is not Chianti Classico no no can you explain that for everybody listening in case they aren't aren't aware of what that means yeah Okay, so Chianti and Chianti Classico tend to be put in the same basket all the time. I think people kind of understand that Chianti Classico might be slightly better. But really, what my understanding is that years ago, at the very, very, very beginning, the Chianti region encompassed a lot of a lot of different types of terroirs and a different, different, lot of different types of like production. And the, the best area was sort of roped off, as it were, to be Chianti Classico. But they weren't allowed to change the rules. So actually, Chianti can be so many different things. Mm. And you know, the, 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 the rules and regulations around it are different to Chianti Classico, yeah. from Chianti Classico. Yeah. They're much more rigid in Chianti Classico. They because they want to keep the quality super high. In fact, they're, I think that, you know, they've changed the yields, they've changed the way, the way that you can make things. And like it has the, the percentages of Sangiovese that could be in there. It's a different product from Chianti. And that, that is the thing. Chianti is a kind of rustic, can be anything kind of wine. Chianti Classico is the real deal. And oh my God, the wines are tasted there, as I'm sure you found mm-hmm. as well. Oh, it's my new favourite wine style. Not that I'm allowed to have one, but and they, it does change all the time. But, you know, I thought I was a Brunello girl. Ah, okay, and okay. I always will be a Brunello girl, but no. The expression of Sangiovese from Chianti Classico is just the most elegant. Oh. Well, now, I, uh, interesting wow. you're saying that. So for everybody who wants to know what is a Chianti Classico? It has to be at least 80% Sanchevese. And then you could use some of the indigenous varieties like Colorino, Caneolo, but then you can also use the international varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot and Syrah. One thing I've found is that there are more producers, there's still a lot of everything, but there are more producers going to that 100% Sanchevese. And yeah. that is where I find it really interesting because Sangiovese itself it's, doesn't give you a depth of colour. It has this lovely tartiness, like those sour red cherries and these kind of herbal violet notes. And when you're not mm. throwing in any Cabernet Sauvignon or the Colorino, surprise, surprise, everyone, the name adds colour. If you're not adding in any of those or you're being very, very careful with just a small percentage, I think then that Sangiovese kind of, it, the grape itself can, can really shine and I think it's a really, I th- I, there's a lovely earthy um, style. It's quite, it dances for me. It's not chunky. Sangiovese no, has a not. brightness to it. So it's a really interesting variety. There's a really annoying term in wine, and I haven't found a better one for it yet. <laughs> Drink, drinkability. Glugability? <laughs> But you wouldn't want to go out. No, okay. but yeah, no. it's it's um goes down so easily. It's so complex, but it's effortless. Yeah, silky and saline, and oh, it's just it's easy, isn't it? But it's still a real 
great variety, you know, in terms of the, the tannins. Actually, you know, there's some pretty decent tannins, medium plus tannins there, you know, mm. but it's it's high acidity. So I think that's what helps yeah. with the with its freshness and its brightness, its exactly. isn't it? Um, yes. And, it, it, but, and I also find that on its own, and this is where, interesting, you're talking about Brunello, which mm. for everyone is also Sangiovese, but it's from further down south. But that kind of cl- the clones that are down the Brunello down there, it tends to be mm. uh, bigger, bolder, it's deeper beefy, isn't d- it? beef. There you go. That's the word beefier. Whereas this has it's it is it's the brightness, the freshness, and the body tends to be again. Obviously, when we start getting to the Grand Selezione category and mm. o- caging, it does change a bit more, but. I just think when you find a really nice, just a Chianti Classico, or maybe just a Chianti Classico Reserva, mm. medium bodied, really fresh. And I feel like all the fruits really showcase beautifully and you get more of the flowers coming through. Maybe maybe a bit of balsamic and forest floor. So I don't know if it, it feels like when you're drinking proper Sangiovese from the Chianti Classico, it feels like you are in Chianti. You know, and you're going yes, through you're those so- <laughs> forests, right? And the salami mm. hanging down from, you know, the Enoteca you, you were explaining in the podcast before. And maybe, you know, they always have just meat hanging down by the window. And I don't know. You're and- so right. That's such a beautiful way to describe it, mm. I think. Yes, it is. It's Tuscany in a bottle, isn't it? Mm. It's mm. The, the best of Tuscany on yeah. a crisp spring day or autumnal day. Mm. Yeah, in a bottle. Where did you go? Mm. Where did you go? Was there some place? Actually, yeah, if you could recommend somebody to go and check out somewhere in Kiev. Yes, totally. I think we went to every single one of the new 11 UGAs. <laughs> wow, okay. We were, I mean, we had and we had the tour with Alessandro Maz- Maznaghetti, that's it. He was he's the cartographer that he studied the whole the whole area and he he, he put these together and he's drawn the maps for the whole area. So we were very lucky we got to taste in the vineyards very the different terroirs okay. from yeah, places. So let me see I mean the ones that blew me well my fontodi i just oh. absolutely adored. that that was in panzano the uga mm-hmm. of panzano mm-hmm. what other ones did i love um we started in san casciano and that's where i sort of had the light bulb moment of it that where where the you know the the real elegance and that floral character and just oh that, that refreshingness that was luiano luiano okay, okay. i think you'd you pronounce that and where's that um, region you just said san where did you say you started san Cas- san casciano i think that was up in the northwest i think it's like it, so we kind of started there and then okay. we went all the way like down and round mm-hmm. didn't, actually we didn't quite do all the 11 that, that would have taken far too long but yes we did a lot of them especially down the west coast and in the middle but it, if you get the chance to do a geographical tour of that area it's fascinating because you can literally stand in certain places and you can see why the Sangiovese tastes different there and there and there because you could see the, the, the differences in like the elevation and what is vegetation, everything that's around there. Wow. Yeah. We were very lucky. And actually, I'm Googling this right now. I didn't know anything about these UGAs. So this is brand new for me. But I'm looking... It's really new. It looks yeah. so, so interesting. Yeah, I'm reading an article. Who's it? Miningers International, there's an article written 2022, last June. Yes. Well, I think we were the first trip to go out. Wow, actually. okay. And that, I know this was in December. So to, like, to, to actually have that tour and see it, it was... It was phenomenal and they've done they're now stricter apparently with the grand selecciones so grand selecciones mm. for anybody who just wants to know they whereas the res- so a, 
A Classico has to be aged for 12 months before release. Reserva is 24 months. And then a Gran Seleccione needs to be 30 months, but it has to come mm. from the estate and it has to come from you know, best vineyards. But yes. here they're saying that the Gran Seleccione now, I think there's tighter rules. So more territorial yeah. identity is what I'm reading, yes. which is interesting. And I think it has to be 100% Sangiovese as well, the Gran Selezione. Yeah, so those those are always the three, mm. actually. Every every winery we went to, we were we were tasting the Chianti Classico, then the Reserva, then the Gran Selezione. So tasting through the, that range, you see the difference in in style and it becomes it becomes clear. It's a oh, very it's, good way to It's to fascinating. Do it. To be honest, wow, I need to get on that. I mean, if anybody's never been to Chianti or Tuscany in general, it's just rolling hills and oh, it's, it's it's so beautiful. It's village to castle and castle to village and go through green forests <laughs> and 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 walled villages. Ah, and I'll tell you where I went last time for the first time, which was San Hinignano, which is for anybody um this is where their white wine comes from so the only docg white wine of tuscany and it's vernaccia mm. so for the vernaccia de san himignano but yeah coming at ya <laughs> there you go that's a now that's something to put on your wine t-shirts isn't it um, <laughs> oh yes there you go wine pan but i have to say honestly going to san himignano it's this it's, it's a hilltop town no no surprise but it's this really it's a walled city and it's just so medieval and because you're on the top, the vistas, everything you can see from around and you're looking down. Chianti can be produced there, um, but obviously the Venaccia di San Heminano, it's that specific region. But, oh my God, walking through those little streets and all the tables, mm. I mean, it's like with any re- any of those regions, there were their little tables outside of all the little bodegas and restaurants and stuff. It, it, San Heminano is, for me, an absolute must for anybody who goes to Chianti now that's a, a big tick you must put that on your list yeah Have, did you spend any time it's there? like a film set yeah uh, no not 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 in San, not not there you need but, um, to you need to you've got to go back I now. know oh yeah I'm all over that I'm all over that um I didn't but I just I just remember as we were driving around I was so tired and I wanted to sleep but I just couldn't <laughs> tear my eyes away from the scenery it was like it's like a joke it's like something like Especially with the lighting at the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, this isn't a real place. Yes. <laughs> this is a film set. Come on, it's just beautiful. And I think if you're going to stay anywhere, we, um, we stayed in Rada in Chianti, which okay, is a yeah, good yeah, kind yeah. of base point mm-hmm. to go and explore the region. And they've got some really lovely local restaurants there as well, where you could just, you know, dive into the wine lists. And they're not, you know, it's not crazy spenny. But oh, the food is insane, isn't it? I mean, this is the thing, and not even that expensive. So, because no. you, so the Rade you've just said that's kind of like in the center south, but just to the west of that is uh, Castellina. And that, for me, mm. I spent a lot of time on my last trip in Castellina. Um, and again, it's not far from San Himignano. So, I mean, to be honest, they're not far away from each other, Castellina and Rada. So you could, you could these, they're, they're mm. iconic places, aren't they? I think there's also Gaiolli, yeah. and then you already, oh. you haven't mentioned Greve in the, in the <laughs> northern part. I mean, they're all, they're the key, actually. Oh God, no, I know, there's so many. They are the, the main centres. If you wanted to go and visit so many vineyards, I think they, that would be it, wouldn't it? It's um, You mentioned Panzano, that's just south of Greve, mm. and then the other three are kind of much closer to each other in the south, but they're, oh, it, I don't even know how you can know. describe. You've reminded me that what I'm supposed to do and I haven't done yet, and it's Which is... in April now. Um, I was, I was, I, a, I need to write it up properly, but I wanted to write it up for Luxury Lifestyle magazine where I could do like a travel 
piece. Mm. So if you if you want to go and discover Chianti Classico, like stay like start here, stay here, eat here, and here are, here are three or four vineyards to go and well and wineries to go and visit to get a real flavour of the UGAs. Oh, honestly, that, uh, yeah, I need to get on that. There you go. You're going to have to. I'm interested. So I wrote down because don't worry, everyone. I can't remember this, but I stayed when I went in the Relais de la Rovere. I'm reading this now. This is in the Colle Val d'Elsa. Relais de la Rovere. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Well, yeah, you, you're here to correct me. I never studied Italian. Relais de la Rovere. <laughs> there we go. Rovere. It was built by Benedictine monks in the 1100s. <laughs> I mean, it's insane. It was owned by one of the popes in the 1400s and it's this you oh. know it's all the cobbled stony walls and wow. there's, there's a pool of course so many of these places in the whole of Chianti they all have pools and you can look out on vineyards and there's always some cyp- cypress tree and maybe an olive grove to look out on or a vineyard you know and you're like you're at peace that's the mm. point, isn't it? The accommodations. You have to find an old building, an old house with a pool mm. overlooking one of the many views, which is not exactly. very complicated. It needs to be on a hill. It has to be on a hill. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, everything's on a hill. So <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Everything is on a hill. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, so let us know when that's out. And maybe mm. when this comes <laughs> out, it doesn't exist, this travel guide by Helena. But if it does at some point, I will <laughs> add it to the show notes. So maybe when you're listening. Listening to this in months, ta- months and months in into the future, I will add it if it exists. There we go. Yes, uh, yeah. Sorry, Victoria Morale. <laughs> I'll get there. <laughs> oh dear me. So, was I think you mentioned a few wines, Chianti producers that you fell in love with. But is there any more that somebody should try? You said Fontodi already. Yeah. So Castello La Leccia. Mm-hmm. That's in Castellina mm-hmm. in Chianti. So, yeah, we did go there as well. I mean, there's always Villa Antinori, of course, big name, but it's a, it's a great place to start. And it's quite easy to find. That one's in Majestic. Well, I've, I've talked about Antinori before because they have places you can stay. They have Michelin-style restaurants, if I recall correctly but they have restaurants everywhere yes. vi- vineyards everywhere uh, obviously they have the Tignanello vineyard which is insane and you mm-hmm. couldn't actually do like an Antonori trip almost visiting lots of different places and staying in an Antonori kind of hotel or it's not even a hotel like a farm stay you know so and they are one of the oldest family wineries in the world Yes, I mean, they're, they're, they're like responsible for the huge names as well, aren't they? Mm-hmm. In terms of, oh, yes, I remember my absolute favourite, Chianti Classico, Isola e Olena. Oh, Isola e Olena. Ceparello, oh, oh my God. They are, I mean, if they, I don't know if cult producers exist in <laughs> Chianti specifically, but if you want to say cult, I would say, I would put them up there. Yes, I, I, there is there is something other with that wine yeah. it is mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. stunning and so another amazing producer to look out for Giovanni Mazzei from Marchese Mazzei you can find those a lot in Peterton Nurseries they, okay. they've got a special relationship there in fact I think they own it they might have owned it I'm not entirely <laughs> sure all I know is that I've had a couple of fantastic Mazzei dinners at Peterton Nurseries <laughs> but again it's a it's a modern style of Tuscan wine and Chianti Classico and oh yeah, it just manages to bring so much flavour, but without too much body, too much of anything. It's just perfectly judged. The balance is insane and so refreshing. I need to try that then. I need to try yeah. that. So when you were just, you were talked about the UGAs, which is bringing something brand new for us all to start looking into. Um, yes. Did you hear them talk about the new Chianti subzone, the Terre di Vici? 
Terre de Vinci. Did I say it right? I don't know. And Terre de Vinci. Yeah. So this is going um, to. Be, I mean, you have saying it right. Yeah. So this is go- in the north of Chianti. I think it's just south of Florence, and mm-hmm. it's something that's going through. That's all I know. Ah, no. It's obviously just uh, didn't want to confuse matters. They were like, no. So, so yeah, so that's another one. And the, yeah, and yeah. that is something that I haven't found anything other than one article on the internet about Terre de Vinci. So everybody, this is mm. obviously something, but it just adds on to the fact that Chianti is really changing quite clearly. It's evolving. They're getting even it more, is. you know, and, and this is going back even just a a few decades, there wasn't really much research on the Sangiovese clones and the clones of Sangiovese mm. now to work out what's more floral. Oh, okay. I mean, that's another podcast in itself, the clones on Sangiovese, isn't it? Oh, I'll tell you what, when I, you know, writing my vanology book, trying to find one for Sangiovese, it's like, oh, well, you've got Morellino and then you've got Chianti and then you've got Chianti Classico and then you've got Brunello. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you can't put it in a box. It's annoying if you can't put it in a box, but you can't put wine in a box. No, can literally. you can't. No. I'm going to take us away from Chianti, just because, mm-hmm. I mean, we could talk about that all day. I want to actually just, just because I also want to, you know, give you a little bit of a shout out, which I want everyone to know. You were named the top 100 most influential people in drinks in 2022, just last year. And also, and I love this one personally, the top 10 women to watch in the wine industry in 2019. I love that. So I wanted to make oh. sure everybody knows about it, but I just wanted to, how does that make you feel? So, you know. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh my God. I was, I was so, so excited by that. Yeah. Especially the, I mean, the, the top 100 sort of, it feels a bit bigger for some reason. <laughs> um, no, it was great to be in there. I know that they are, they're going through the process at the moment. I hope I'm still in it, but I'm oh. not sure I will be. <laughs> they probably know because I've been really quiet because I've been making making more telly oh. maybe people don't know that yet because we haven't announced it Miss at it. this po- moment while I'm talking to you no yeah. but the fact that you even mentioned last year I mean I just think it's really really special and I mean what would you considering you were saying back in the podcast before that you were basically starting up your wine journey at a time when you would go to a wine tasting and you were the only woman there you know things have yeah. really changed um they really have which yeah. is fantastic but at the same time there are many times when and women still feel in the wine industry that they haven't got a certain advantage or maybe it might feel intimidated. I mean, what would you say for women in the wine industry, how to make an impact? Because you have made an impact. You haven't let anything stop you. No, well, thank you. I, I nearly did a couple of times, as I've mentioned well, before. But um, mm. no, I, I, I haven't. I've just, I've moved forward. And do you know what's been such a help? What's that? Was... I, I was asked to write something in the Daily Mail that I talked about earlier. I, I don't think I don't think you've seen it, but it was all about the beginning of my journey into wine and how tricky it was just being female, you know. And I'm a white middle class female. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but just you know, even mm. that, you know, there, there weren't very many of us yeah, around. Yeah. Um, but what I loved was after that, I didn't know whether I was going to be welcomed with open arms into tastings again or make, be made to feel like a pariah. And I walked into a tasting and just a group of women just sort of surrounded me. And oh, honestly, I've never felt so supported in the wine trade in my life. And you know, then they invited me onto the Wine Gurus mm-hmm. um, group, which is brilliant. Mm-hmm. That's just it's just women supporting women. And what I've loved seeing there is what I wish I'd had at the beginning, but I'm so glad it exists now. Which is, is anyone going to this tasting? Does anyone want to do this? And it's it's so you've got someone who's got your back. <laughs> Not, I mean, it sounds awful. You no. don't necessarily need that, but it just, I think, it, it really Support does help. Women it? supporting women, and actually, yes. that also goes for everybody. 
finding mm. support in whatever you're doing, whoever you are, make sure that you have somebody around you that can be your cheerleader. You can be theirs. That's actually, yeah. Yeah, that's lovely absolutely that's I mean it's so good and I hadn't realized that I'd made an impact because I wasn't even sure if any of the younger people coming in would know who I was but what I you're not what that I old. can continue oh. <laughs> can, can we... <laughs> my god no, no thank you I mean I... you might feel it but oh, uh, I do because you have a million yeah, projects but you're not that old it's also it just feels it because I started such a long time ago I mean literally it's 20, 21 years this year Be- wow yeah um, but people watching this are going to be like wow she doesn't sound like a 60 year old or a 70 year old like yeah exactly <laughs> well I, I'm yes I, I'm not I'm, I'm 45 I don't, I'm going to embrace my age that it's fine um but what, but what I can do now and again I I spoke before about actually being grateful for a couple of those really tough times Mm. as I'm now fearless. And I think that's also being in your 40s. I I will say it. And when people tell me stories of people who are behaving badly in the wine trade, I will I I can now talk about that. And I, you know, I can I can fight some battles Mm -hmm. for other people. And I have done, you know, the the conversations I've had on the way out of tastings with certain well-known men in the wine industry. (laughs) Old me would never have done that, yeah. but I feel like I've got a duty now. Yes, um, because I've got you know the grey hair in the industry. Mm-hmm. I, I can sit amongst the the older generation and the younger generation. I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah, and so and that works, I think. And yeah, I, I do feel that I should be an ambassador for younger women coming up and supporting. I them. love that. Be authentic. Be fearless. Find your community. There is a community. Yes, love it. Yeah, it's nice because there is a community now. And I know that they've got me if I need them, mm, which is great. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Absolutely. Now, you told me, and I just want everyone to know about all your millions of projects, because there's always something <laughs> going on here. Are you releasing a wine book for beginners? Is that something you're doing? Or did I make that up? Uh, no, you no, you didn't. I self-published a book back in 2011 called Wine Buds of Analogy, and it was all about making wine visuals. Mm-hmm. So, you know, oh, I yeah, got, yeah. I worked with an artist to do Pinot Noir as a ballerina, you know, and I got really anal about the Pantones. You know, <laughs> that's, it's a certain type of cherry red. You know, <laughs> and I'd, I'd give the whole palette, you know, where Cabernet's more purpley black, and then there you go, oh, don't even start me on Syrah. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm redoing it now. I have a I have a book agent and we're working on, because it needs modernising. Okay. You know, I, I will own the fact that I started writing that in 2009 and some of the analogies aren't really fit for 2023 yeah yeah uh, you know I I don't I don't yes my Nebbiolo one particularly <laughs> so I'm I'm updating it but also the wine world's changed yeah so it's going to be a very it's a highly visual irreverent oh, I'm excited just dipping and out visual no wine beginner's books yeah. I'm all for visual wine books I love that and then just to finish <laughs> off because you did mention that you've moved or moving to the Isle of Wight you're going to be an ambassador <laughs> for a winery in the Isle of Wight right I am yes un- unofficially I absolutely am they don't have a choice you've just made basically. it you're like I live here <laughs> I'm going to talk about your wine the way I want to. <laughs> well, I, I, well, yeah, essentially. And you will give me free wine. <laughs> well, that, yeah, well, I haven't requested that, but I do want to taste it. Oh God, well, what if it's bad? about the Isle of Wight? What if it... Well, yeah, I know that could be awkward, <laughs> totally awkward. I don't know yet. I'm going to find out. I'm going there tonight. <sighs> well, I'm going to the island tonight. Yeah. So, but what's fascinating about the Isle of Wight is it's a little bit sunnier than the mainland and there are so many west-facing chalky slopes. Interesting. And there were only two vineyards there and one's closed down and the other it's you know it's lovely um but it, it's still using like mostly germanic varietals mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And it's it's all right, but it's not on a level of some of the producers that we know and love, yes. like Balfour, for example. Thank you. <laughs> and so I, I had an idea that I wanted to get together some people who actually had money and an interest in wine and may, wondered if we could do something together. You know, I even contacted Stephen Skelton to yes. say, can we get you over and can we find somewhere? While doing that research, I found that actually there's a brand new winery called Pinkmead Estate. Mm -hmm. And it's right on the river and it's, it turns out it's 10 minutes drive from my new house. And Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. And so, you know, I started following them on Instagram and then they followed me back and I'm like, oh, I'm about to move to your area. And like, oh my God, come down. I'm like, yeah, you, you can't stop me. But I'm, That is know. brilliant. Okay. And they're like, consider this your vineyard. So now I feel like I don't have to do it myself, but I can now be an ambassador for them. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. That makes absolute sense. When do you think they'd be releasing their first vintage? Well, they they Where did apparently release one, but it was made. Was it the I think the Grange people in Hampshire kindly okay, made yeah. it for them because they were still building their winery. And I think that this is going to be their first vintage, I believe, when okay. they harvest it. That's um, very exciting. It is so exciting. I'm going to so come I, and visit you. Yes, please. And yes. I shall come and taste their wine when it's ready. Oh, do 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 yes. Got a little house by the sea now, and yeah, they are oh, beautiful. Something for the soul, and everybody. There you go for English wine. It continues extending. So let's see what happens with the Isle of Wight. Yeah, watch the space. I'll be shouting <gasps> about you. it a lot. <laughs> Helena, you're amazing. Now I'm feeling nice and energized for the day. So mm. I hope everyone else is having listened to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really no. lovely talking to you. Oh, good old Natter, huh? Right, I must do this again sometime. Right, I, I shall now leave you in peace. <laughs> Bye! Bye! I hope this episode has just been a super uplifting one. Helena's energy just shines through and I genuinely appreciated that she's brought herself so authentically to the last two episodes. So whilst you are all hopefully feeling rather energised, I thought I'd finish off with a fun and ridiculous quote. Many of you may think of it automatically when you think of Chianti and this is possibly the most famous quote from Silence of the Lambs. You know what's coming. So <laughs> in the film, Hannibal Lecter says to Clarice, a censor taker once tried to test me I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. And on that note, may you drink what you love this week. Do something you love this week. Share this podcast with someone you love this week. And of course, if you find a few moments, don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. Now, next week, I'm going to carry on with my deep, dive series and this one is on sparkling wines so get ready to exercise those brain muscles and until next week cheers to you